It's book club time. Woo! Bam! How's it going? We haven't been together in the room for a while recording. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast, and it's it it's been a little bit for sure. Well, welcome to the book club. Hey, everybody, we're doing a book club. Is so, this going to be like a regular thing? Like, yes, it is. If there was a day of the week that started with B, you could do the whole alliteration, like Friday night book club. Okay. Is that terrible? Yes, terrible. That's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> so we're doing a book club, and what, what I mean by that is there are several different books that have had a great impact on myself and other people in my life, and that just keep popping up over and over again. Similar to what we did with the one thing, just uh, probably a little bit more refined and a little bit more um, streamlined. So there's going to be several different books throughout the book series. Uh, today's book is Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Let me go ahead and say this. In the description, go ahead and click the link to Amazon and buy the book. It's like four bucks. Buy the freaking book. Every rich person in my life credits this book as one of the most influential works that they have ever read. So that's the first thing. The second thing, obviously this book involves finance. Here's my disclaimer. I am not giving financial advice in this episode. I am purely giving my personal opinions reviewing a book that happens to talk about finance. This is not recommendations. This is not anything along those lines. Matter of fact, I'm trying to not even give my opinion. I'm interviewing Adam about this. Anyway, Adam, when I get, when I told you to go read Rich Dad Poor Dad, what was your initial reaction? Well, it was pretty funny because my my uncle actually years ago when I was I think it's my first year in undergrad, um, I helped him move, and he just while we were moving through boxes, he just handed me a copy of the book and he says it'll be one of the most important books you ever read. You need to read this, and I said. This cover's ugly and unattractive. It was an old book. And yeah. I was like, this, no, I'm fine. I don't need to read about financial information. I'm, I, you know, I'm in school right now. It's the last thing on my mind. And then when you handed it to me, and it was the second time in my life that somebody had handed me the book, a physical copy, and said, you need to read this. This will be one of the most influential books you've ever read. I was like, all right, that, that's a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... Picked it up, started reading. I did a little bit of research on it first and started seeing all these other people, all these other reviews saying, if you read no other financial book, this is probably the one to do. Um, And I think I also had some misconceptions about it too when I first started reading. I think when most people think of financial advice, books, websites, whatever you want to call it, they think get quick rich schemes or they think, invest in this type of stock right now before this market crashes or something like that. They think those soundbite kind of advice that you would read in an article's headline, um, invest in this now um, as a means of getting rich quick. They don't think about what this book does. And this book more than anything is just, it's just a mentality change. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably the thing that kind of blew me away. I was reading through the first few chapters and I kept expecting, okay, where's the part where he tells me to do X, Y, and Z, and now now I'm rich. Now I'm Scrooge McDuck swimming yeah. in a um, vault of coins. Um, and it really never really happened that way almost. He just kept saying, no, if you want to be like the truly wealthy, your mindset has to change. You have to start thinking about your future and money and wealth in a whole different way than school has taught you, if they've taught you anything, than your parents have taught you, than any sort of news organization that you read their their financial column, um, then any of those are telling you you have to change how you think about it if you ever want to get to that point, if you ever want to retire early, um, if you ever want to um, get into that that business that you always wanted to be in, but you're too afraid to leave your, your nine to five. Yeah. You remember what I told you when I gave you the book? How good looking I am and how I'm never wrong. 
No. Okay. I told you it was going to be a paradigm and a mindset shift. Yeah. And you remember I told you this is an allegory. Okay. Stop. Yes, he's using real life figures and such, but it is an allegory. It was written in 1997. The information, the actual tangible information in it right now is, is irrelevant. The yeah. world has drastically changed since 1997. It's the fact that it just helps you think in a different way. Everybody, over and over, especially the wealthy people in my life, it just kept popping up. And I was like, I got to read this damn book. Yeah. Like, and that was years ago. Um, and it was funny. I told one of my clients who were reading it. Uh, I, obviously, he doesn't know who you are, but I just kind of mentioned it. He said, what? You read that in like middle school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what middle school he went to, but it wasn't, it wasn't mine. Yeah. So, um, so talk to me. You know, I remember you texting me. You were like, I'm starting Rich Dad, Poor Dad tonight. And then I got a text from you. I woke up the next day. I saw I got a text from you at like 2 a.m. in the morning. I was like, I'm halfway done with the book. So, so what? walk me through what happened from beginning to middle to end and what were some of the aha moments you had. Yeah. I think the first aha moment, it's probably the same with just about anybody who reads it. Um, you start reading it and, and is it maybe the first chapter or so, or maybe the first few pages? I can't remember. Um, but it's, it's really just a story of his life. Mm-hmm. And, and what rich dad, poor dad even means. Uh, what, he had a dad that was both rich and poor at the same time? That doesn't make any sense. No, it's the, it's the story of a guy that growing up, his biological father was a very well-respected man in the community, very educated man, uh, multiple degrees. He was a doctor, um, and yet never really was, was doing phenomenal financially. Um, he was very dependent upon his salary that he made. Um, and then his best friend growing up, and they're just little kids, his best friend, that dad, I think he uh, dropped out of high school, mm-hmm. um, never went to college, but yet owned multiple businesses, did incredibly well, and was doing well, way better off than the his biological dad who had the degrees, had the education, had the typical job that people, you know, when their kids are, when they're raising their kids, say, maybe one day you'll be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was doing way better off um, and had a very different, more, in some ways, more pragmatic in a way view of, listen, do you want, as he says in the book, do you want to work from your money or do you want your money to work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the first little bit of the book, he tells the story of how his rich dad taught him some, especially to a little kid, kind of some harsh lessons yep. of what it means to whether you're working for money or having it work for you. Um, and how from a very early, early, early age, his best friend's dad, AKA his rich dad, um, ingrained in him these lessons of saying, listen, if you want to be the type of person who can retire early or who is not slaving away, praying that they don't get laid off because they're going to be screwed, um, this is how you need to think about money. This is how you need to be thinking about your future, not just go to school, get a degree, get the job, get that paycheck. Maybe you get promoted. Um, and it, and it, it really was. It's, it's kind of how he learned the lessons, which is, is pretty key to how he teaches them to you throughout the rest of the book. Now clarify what you mean when you say retire early. What, is, what do you mean when you say retire? Yeah, a lot of people think I got, and I used to think this, okay, I have, let's just pick a number, $5 million in the bank. Now I, I can retire now. I've, I've planned it out. I'm going to use X amount per year until assuming I die at this age, I'm good to go. Um, when he talks about retiring early, and this is again, one of the mentality shifts, it's not, okay, I now have a few million dollars in the bank. I'm going to live off of those until I die. No, it's you have all of these assets. And that's something I'm sure we'll talk about too, mm-hmm. is what the definition of an actual asset is compared to just the accounting definition um, that are 
no matter what you do, whether you receive a paycheck or don't receive a paycheck or work one month out of the year, you have all of these different things that are putting money in your pocket. It's not just you have a bulk amount of money you're sitting on top of that you just live off of. No, you have things that every week, every month, whatever the uh, whatever the uh, payment is or whatever, however often they pay you, they are constantly putting money in your pocket. You are still making money even though you're retired. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather be in that position than just have a set amount of money sitting somewhere that if I have crazy medical bills or something else happens, I just have to pull from the fund. I'd much rather be in a position where I say, oh yeah, every month, whether I'm sitting in a hammock in Aruba or still working, I got all these different things making money. That's what he meant by retirement. He meant, no, you are in a position where you, whether it's real estate, whether it's all these other different things that we can get into, you are still making money every single week, every single month, every year. Um, Your money, your income, and once again, that's a definition you choose differently. Um, The amount of money that is being put in your pocket is only staying the same or even increasing. You're not just you know, living off of a so what's his bank account? Of income? income for him, which this was another eye-opening thing. I think of income as all dollars coming into my bank account from mm-hmm. any any possible way. Um, income from him has almost a slight negative connotation in a way. Um, it for him, income is whatever you have to actively work to get. Mm-hmm. So for most people, including myself, um, that's the paycheck I get from my job, um, and that is your income. You work to get the money. Your employer pays you said money. That could be commission. That could be um, a paycheck. That could be, you know, I, I flipped a property this month and I made 20000 because I flipped a property. Mm. I was actively working to do so. So that's important. So that's, for example, people always talk about real estate being passive income, but that is a real estate example that's not passive yep. income. That uh, is active. Unless you just have some sort of company that you pay money towards that does all the flipping for you, I guess then you could probably put that in his definition of an asset column. But for most people, when they flip property in order to save money and make as much as they can off of flipping, they're actively flipping. they do it themselves. Or they at least have some significant hand in going in there and inspecting it and all that. For him, real estate, if it's a true blue asset, it's something that you don't want to have to worry about. You're you're not a uh, – and if you're renting it, you're not a landlord – you're not having to fix someone's toilet at 3 a.m. You're not having to um, find out that the electrical wiring in that home is messed up. So you're going to have to go down there and fix something or screw in a light bulb. It's stuff that you don't have to lift a finger to do. And that could mean a few things. That can mean you have a property manager and you pay them some and they're the ones who are the landlords and they manage the property. Or um, whatever it is, the main goal is to, if it's a true asset, it's something you don't have to work for. Because that's just a paycheck. That's just income. If you're having to work to then receive money, that's not an asset. That's not something that's going to be a non-stressor for you that every morning when you wake up, you say, yeah, I didn't do anything today, but I still made money from that. Yeah. No, you're working for it. You're, you're sweating. By the sweat of your brow, you receive that money. And his goal is if it's an asset, you're not having to work for it. It's generating you money. Your money is working for you, not the other way around. Well, and you know, the, the definition of retirement that he's using is what I would call in economic independence, what Gary mm-hmm. Gunderson calls economic, like there's several people, I didn't come up with it, but um, basically your baseline expenses for existing are covered by cash flow that is coming in from assets that are producing said cash flow, not from income that you are actively working for. And what happens when you are economically independent and you're not required to work for your basic expenses is it basically frees up your life to do 
you know, 10x things. Mm-hmm. You're essentially retired, quote unquote, at that point. Yeah. It's not it's not even the right word. Retirement means to put out a service. Okay, it comes again from the Prussian model. I've, I've ranted about the Prussian education system on this podcast before that our education system is based on that was designed to create 95% little factory workers and 5% entrepreneurs. That's mm-hmm. the entire point of it. That's why it was built. Um, and that's how we educate our children today. So that's why nobody knows anything about money. Nobody knows anything about entrepreneurship. You can get a student loan with no collateral and just a sign, sign uh, on a piece of paper. But then when you graduate, nobody will give you a loan to start a business. What kind of stupid ass concept is that? Yeah. Think about that. So now, now keep going. Um, you know, you obviously read half the book in one night. What was it about it that kept you turning the pages? I think the big thing is it kept, it kept turning things over on its head that I thought I knew. Um, it kept breaking misconceptions that I had about finance. Like I think the main first misconception that he breaks um, is that your home is not an asset. Mm, I think explain that because yeah. everybody tells you your home is your best asset. It, that was the first one that I was like, what? Uh, and at first I was doubting it. And then I was like, it really started to kind of change my perception. I kind of felt a little stupid, but in a good way of like a, now I know sort of way, not a, I'm just a moron. Yeah. Um, but the, the way he kind of describes it in the book is that most people, and I think our generation with as many difficulties as we've had with student loans as well, you know, you're sold the, the classic American dream, like buy a house, white picket fence, yard, suburbs, or just wherever. You need to be a homeowner. Why rent? It's just like throwing your money away, basically. Mm-hmm. Build um, some equity. It doesn't matter yeah. that you'll never get to use that equity, but build some equity. Build man. some equity in their home. And I started thinking about that and – the, the way he words it in the book is he's just saying, listen, if you if your goal is to is to either retire early or be wealthy or to be more like his rich dad, to actually be a wealthy individual who um, is not relying on that uh, monthly or biweekly paycheck, um, you can't think of your home as just a dollar figure. Oh, yeah, my home is a $370,000 home. Um, I like having $370,000 or I've paid off a hundred thousand dollars of it. I have a hundred thousand dollars of equity. No, this is what your home is on a day-to-day basis. It's maintenance costs. It's mortgage payments. It's taxes. It's HOA fees. If you have to deal with HOA, um, it's mowing your yard and putting gas in your lawnmower. It's all of this stuff. And all it does on almost daily basis is pull money and take it out of your pocket. Um, and you need, doesn't mean a home is a bad thing. He doesn't discourage you from uh, owning a home at all. He's not some weird guy who's like only rent apartments till the end of your days. Um, but he says, if, if all you think about of your home is it's some glorified just asset that adds to your net worth, which is another thing he kind of completely poos all over. Oh, completely. Um, then you are going about it wrong. Cause it's those people who, and this is not on them because this is just as much on, banks and probably the government for the uh, 2009 housing crisis. But people thought having a home was the end all be all. And they're willing to take bad loans just to get a home because they thought of it as equity. I own it. Oh, I can, if I need to, I can sell it for the same amount I bought it for. No, on a day-to-day basis, it is just money leaving your pocket. And until you start thinking about that way, you kind of risk putting yourself in some dangerous positions, uh, which made me more hesitant to, I mean, not to ramble too much, but I'm sure you know as many people as I do, our age or a little bit younger, a little bit older, who young married couple, before they were probably ready to do so, immediately went out and purchased a home because they wanted to build equity rather than pay rent. Yeah. And next thing they know, maybe they didn't account for the taxes. Maybe they didn't account for maintenance or something falling apart or replacing a water heater. Who knows? 
Next thing they know, they were in this house. They were stuck in this house. And they can't really afford it. And they can't keep it up because they thought of a home as almost equatable, just equity of just money, of having something positive when it was really just every single month just taking money away from them. Yeah. So to him, anything that is not, so we're not talking about the accounting definition of assets and liabilities. Anything that is taking money out of your pocket is a liability. So I'm sure you've heard people say a car is a depreciating asset, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in this view, it's not a depreciating asset. It's an appreciating liability. Yeah. Okay. It's a liability. It takes money out of your pocket and it only takes more and more money out of, out of your pocket the longer you have it. It is an appreciating liability. It is not a depreciating asset. No. You know, so it, it just shifts the way you view things. And then you start thinking, okay, what assets do I have in my life? And then you start putting a list of lists together. And you're like, holy crap, I have no assets in my life. Like no real true assets when you read the book. And you're like, man, I need to create cash flow in my life. I need to create um, a system that allows for me to continuously make money. And it really goes back to, to one of his guiding principles is make your money work for you, not the other way around. Um, and by that, he means, ask, like you just said, his definitions of assets are things that are putting money in your pocket, not the opposite. And ideally, and really only things that you're not having to work for, because that, once again, is just income. That is just your paycheck, just like you get from work. If you're having to put in hours and time and effort and energy into something to get a return, it's income. It's not his definition of an asset. So, so think about it like this. So Adam, I, I don't know if I've done this exercise with you, but let's say if I gave, don't say it out loud, just think, and listeners, you can participate. If I gave you an extra $10 a month, think about what you would do with that $10. Okay. Now, what if I bumped that number up to $100? Think about what you would do. With it. Okay. Now, what if I bump it up to $1,000 a month? What would you do? Now, what if I bump it up to $10,000 a month? What would you do? Okay. Now, what if I bump it up to $100,000? What would you do? Okay. At what point there did you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about what you can do for others? Yeah. Okay. Because you probably, when I said 10 bucks, you were like, I don't know, I'd buy an extra couple lattes. When I said 100, you were like, I'd probably save it. When I said 1,000, you were like, oh, I'd definitely save that. When I said 10,000, you probably start thinking like, okay, like I probably invested. And when I said 100,000, you were like, I don't know, just start charity? Shit, like what am I going to do with 100 grand every month? But that's what economic independence allows for you. And that's what that mindset is around. Because that mindset that we're force fed is you go to school, you get a job, you get security, you get benefits, you slave until you're 65, and then you live the good life. Okay, live the good life at 65 when you're going through kidney failure and heart failure. Okay, that sounds that sounds logical. And when your kids are already got families of their own, and when you wish you could have taken them on vacation to that one place twenty years ago, maybe now you can take the grandkids. But yeah, I was never. I think that's a thing that I would give our generation maybe a little bit of credit in the idea. We do like living life. We do like living life, and we like blowing money. That's yep. for sure. And we like taking student loans. We we're never going to be able to pay back. But um, I would say we also are a little less. Um, I'd say a little more actually disillusioned with the whole, yeah, when you retire at the age of 60 after being a company man for, for 40 years, everything's going to be great. I think our generation, at least a little bit more than some others, thinks, yeah, when I'm 60, I'm not going to want to do half the things I wish I could be doing right now. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, 
you know, when you look at the economy, you look at the gig economy, I think part of it is because there's so many ways to have a hustle now and yeah. to create income outside of your job that our generation has noticed like, yo, I can go do, I can go Uber. I can go Airbnb my place. I can go put out a podcast. I can go do whatever and create income that allows for me to get, they might not be thinking of it the same way because they haven't read the book, but to create assets. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it completely makes sense. And, um, I think some people to play devil's advocate may say it's because we, you know, we can't get jobs. So we have to do three side hustles, but no, I think for the most part, I think you're right. I think there are a lot more opportunities these days for, um, for people to write for a blog that turns a little bit of profit. I mean, we live in the age of, of YouTube multimillionaires of mm -hmm. people who started on some site that half the world didn't even know about. And they started making regular videos and now they have millions and millions of, of people every week or day waiting to hear what they have to say. Um, so it's, I think, I think there's a lot of kind of entrepreneurial spirit kind of out there with finding, like you said, these side hustles, these things that um, can help supplement and, and make depending on that biweekly check a little less scary. Yeah. Well, and, and to take it a step further, I'd like, I'd like your thoughts on this when he talks about this concept. So he talks about you never spend the money you earn actively. You take the money you earn actively to invest into assets and then you live off of the income that is spit off of your assets. Mm -hmm. How much did that, was that an aha moment? Did that get you thinking differently? It did. Um, and I mean, it, it's very reminiscent of how very successful larger businesses are ran. When a larger business is doing successful and they have profits, you think, okay, profits like CEO got a big bonus that year. Well, that might have happened, but what also happens is they redirect a significant portion of those profits often if their goal is to grow their business and be 10 times as good five years from now, and they will redirect that back into the business and invest it into it. Um, and then people like the shareholders, you think, oh, they must have made all that money off the profits. No, they're paying dividends. They're paying small portions based upon the growth that the business is receiving. Um, and so it did. Which dividends would be a form of asset because that's cash flow in your pocket if you own a specific stock, for mm -hmm. example. And so uh, that that did kind of. I mean, it made a lot of sense. I mean, instead of, uh, you know, why are the, the why can't individuals model at least in part their lives off of very successful, thriving businesses. Um, well, you, corporate finance is all about cash flow. Your personal finance is all about accumulation. It's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting little conspiracy yeah. theory there. It's almost like, like I would rather if, if I'm in a pissing contest with somebody for finances. I hope I never am. But mm -hmm. and they're saying, "Well, I have X amount in the bank." I would much rather be able to fire back at them and say, "I have five rental properties that generate me this every month." Yeah. Um, rather than some guy just saying he has a bold figure. Because, I mean, yeah, he may be earning interest on that. But like like you said, our, it's like individuals base their own personal finances on just how much gold can they sit atop of mm -hmm. rather than how much are, how much of what they're making are they reinvesting essentially into themselves. Yeah. Um, you are your greatest asset. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're putting that money, your own profits, so to speak, um, and when you're putting that, back into investments and, and actual assets, not just things that you have equity in that still you have to pay money on every month. Um, that is where he really kind of stresses in the book. That is when you start to become wealthy is when you start putting that money into all of these other things that will then continuously generate you more money. And then you keep that cycle going again and again, 
Your rental properties make money. You funnel that into more rental properties. Now you have twice as many that are all making money. You funnel that in. That turns into eight. That turns into 16. That turns into 32. Um, and then by the time you retire, which maybe now you can retire 15 years ahead of where you could have previously, you still have all of this stuff that you can keep investing into more properties or just live off of and keep spending all this money that they will make you every single month. So that's that's super important. Okay. I, I want to touch on this because I think this is this is incredibly powerful. All right. Let's assume you're retiring, but retiring would mean you, you quit your primary job. You might still be on a board. You might, whatever. You're doing, you're traveling. And in one scenario, you've got $1.5 million worth of assets in the, or accounting assets in a 401k or bank or whatever. And, in a, and, and you're going to live off of, you know, 5% off of it. Let's use simple math. So that's $75,000 a year. Okay. So you use it your first year and then the next year you don't have 1.5 million. Now you have one point, whatever that is, 1.375. Okay. And you see that number go down every single year and you're getting older and you're not earning income anymore. And you just see that number going down every single year. And life Versus expectancies are actually getting think, longer. Yeah. We're, we're living longer too. Versus you have assets that spit off cash flow that spit off $75,000 a year in cash flow every single year. Imagine the difference in mindset between those two individuals. One sees his nest egg decreasing every year, and one sees just cash flow coming in and probably appreciating because he's either got royalties or dividends and stocks or properties or whatever it may be. Think about scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. Here it's like the, the first scenario is like, oh shit, I need to scrimp and save and protect everything. In, in the other scenario, it's like, oh, the world is opening up and I can continue to create value. Th that's the mindset shift. The first situation makes me think, man, I, I hope I die soon because I can't keep this up for another 10. If you're just living off of one bulk amount of money. Dude, I cannot tell you how many people in my industry, I, in my job, I have heard say that. I mean, it really it's is the crazy. most depressing thing. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it just, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, there's no telling how how long you're going to live. I mean, I think it's a very common case. I mean, we hear about people who had to work five to 10 years longer past retirement, the typical retirement age, because they didn't have, they didn't save enough in some account to be able to live off of for the time they wanted to live off of. And maybe it's because of debts they had. Maybe it's because of medical bills, whatever the reason that's a common story we hear about all the time is the age of retirement is increasing because people don't have enough money to live off of until they get to 90, 95, whatever. Um, I would much rather be in a position, position to say, screw some random dollar figure seeing an account somewhere. I have all of this stuff that I know, no matter what, is going to make me, rough estimate, this much every single year. I'm making money. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's like, I mean, it's, it's much better than, like you said, that mentality shift of saying, of watching money just leave your account versus going into it every year that so that's kind of a scary place to be to have finite expenses that only are going to decrease well and think about this it goes from the mindset shift here is from exchanging your time for money to exchanging your brain for money i don't know if that makes sense instead of clocking in and clocking out moving to a mindset where it's like okay how can i utilize my unique skill set the leverage i can create in my life via expertise knowledge relationships technology etc to create more, to create abundance. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing that's crazy about it too is it, it builds on itself. I mean, a lot of people, um, when they start thinking about their finances, I think they have that initial aha moment of saying, 
of, of compounding interest. It's just mm-hmm. the idea. Oh, if I put $50,000 in this bank account this year and don't touch it for 30 years, which probably not isn't the wisest of decisions, it, it's just going to, the compounding interest is going to keep building on itself. It's free money. It's going to infinitely go up. Um, I think that's one of the first aha moments people have. But when you have kind of what we've talked about to keep using the same example, this like real estate cycle, for instance, it's not just compounding interest. It's not just a small percentage of your total money growing every year. You are constantly turning that money and funneling into even more assets and even more assets. And the more money you make, you can then invest twice as much as you did the year before. And it's it's a much more um, direct and, and almost more rapid kind of growth. Um, it becomes exponential. It really does. It becomes exponential. It becomes less of Oh, if I have a million dollars in the bank and I get, you know, 0.8% a year on that, it gives me this much and I can try to just live off the end. It becomes changed from that to saying, if I keep doing what I'm doing and even have a conservative estimate of saying, I'm going to grow my real estate portfolio by a quarter once a year, um, in 10 years, where I can potentially be is absolutely insane. And I think it would blow most people's minds. Well, and again, the reason we're using real estate so much is because that's what he uses, because that's how he made his money. Yep. But again, it's it's a slew of different things. I mean, any form of, of venture, business venture that that can create that passive flow mm-hmm. to you. Um, you know, how has it changed the way you view your vision 10, 15, 20, 30? Because you just got recently got engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, how has it changed your vision for your life with that mindset shift? I think the big thing was around retirement. Um, I think we're almost raised to think retirement is something you do in your 60s. And then you just kind of live out your sunset years. And I started thinking, if I become financially educated, financially literate, and I start learning and start taking a more active approach in, in my own finances of finding these things, these actual true assets, and and doing things to to not just put money in the account and let it sit, but truly invest in assets that the actual chance and the potential for, for Bethany and I to be able to retire in our forties is real. It's, it's tangible. The idea that when we are much younger than what I used to always believe would be around the time I could retire and and finally get to do what I wanted to do. Um, uh, it became a lot more real to me. And it was, it was almost scary how real and it felt like due to this mindset, mindset shift, I could be in a position where I'm not just slaving away for a paycheck for the next 30, 40 years where I could, I could retire and then just do what I want to do, knowing that I had all these things that are putting money into my pocket. I'm not just living off of something. They are putting money in my pocket for the potential to only grow them if I so choose. Um, and that was a very, very, very eye-opening moment when I realized how how much of a potential this kind of kind of stuff did, does, and nobody does it. So, so I guess the question I've got for you is: Are you happy I got you, I made you read it? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I think as you're reading it, and I still kept thinking. The more I read, I kept thinking: All right, when's the stock advice going to come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's he going to tell me to... Which 1997 tech bubble stock am I supposed to buy right yeah, now? Yeah, when's he going to tell me to buy a timeshare in, in Florida or something like that? Um, and it really doesn't come. It, it is really about changing how you think about money, how you think about 
assets, your own net worth in your life, which he talks a lot about, honestly, how much bullshit that is. Mm-hmm. Um, cause people include their, you know, their home in their net worth. Um, he's, yeah, that's probably a conversation for another time. Yeah. Um, but it, it really is about the mentality shift. I think if anyone is serious about becoming more financially literate and educated, and if they're truly thinking about their life, not in terms of paying their bills next month only or receiving their, their paycheck next week, if they're truly thinking about their life in terms of decades of where do I want to be in 20 or 30 years? I don't want to just be dependent upon whatever company I'm working for. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be in the financially independent and honestly be rich. Yeah. Um, I think this is probably the book to start off on because there's a thousand books out there that tell you, if you want to, if you want to make money in real estate, do these 10 things or a deep dive into specific areas. And it's more about finding your passion. It might not be real estate. Maybe you're big into tech. Maybe, you know, software and coding, and that's your passion. You want to invest into that somehow, or maybe you're a good writer, which you and I have even talked about some of, of finding opportunities there. Um, but I think this is probably the best book to serve as your initial foundation because it changes your mindset. It gets you thinking about things you would not have thought about otherwise. And it's, it's, I think it would be almost like the perfect primer for going in a thousand other different directions with financial books. Um, this book gets you thinking the way you need to be thinking in order to probably do what you're trying to do, all the, what you're trying to do and what all the other books you may read afterwards are going to try to get you to do and tell you how to do it. This book is the foundation. It's the basis. It gets you ready to make the moves you probably are going to learn more about and probably seek to make afterwards. So I've given that book to dozens of people. I literally buy the book. I'm not kidding. It's four, it's $4 again. Amazon link, description, click it, buy it, read it. Um, one, of, one of my friends who read it, she said, she brought up a really good point. She said, ever since I've read it, I'm constantly looking for opportunities now. Yeah. Again, it opens your eyes to there's, you know, immigrants have all kinds of stories about money and most immigrants know how to make money. It's kind of like in our DNA for some reason. But one of my, uh, one of my uh, Middle Eastern friend's dad, which is the most stereotypical thing you can imagine, Owns like three gas stations, a, a liquor store, and like drives a Camry, but probably has like five million dollars in the bank. You know, like that type of person. Um, he would always say, "There's money all over the floor. You just have to be smart enough to pick it up." No. Yeah. So just be, you just got to be smart enough to just bend over and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And, and it may mean making you know a lot of people the idea of investing in something is scary, and I don't blame them. Yeah, you know, yeah. taking money out of your bank account that was right there, ready to take, ready to grab, and saying something like. I'm going to put a down payment on a rental property or I'm going to take a, a percentage ownership in a gas station yeah. or whatever. That's scary. That's Terrible. really scary. Um, but I think that's where his advice in the book comes is, is don't just do it for whatever business you see or whatever opportunity comes your way. Do it about the th- do it with the things that you are a passionate about and B understand things that you can evaluate yourself. He's, I think he says in his, his book that he did real estate and then, uh, small businesses, entrepreneurship. So he would invest early in a new business that's just getting off um, you know, the first year or two and they're looking for investors um, only because he understood how to do that. And he could see the opportunity for what it was and distinguish bad opportunities for good opportunities, businesses that were going to fail versus ones that were not. Um, so it's not necessarily about just throwing your money at whatever asset or investment and hope it sticks. It's about finding the things that you 
can understand or you care enough to learn about and that you have that passion so that you can make better, more educated decisions. But the same principle remains. It's, it's about finding those assets, those things that will be putting money in your pocket, not just taking money out of it. Yeah. The risk is not an investment. The risk is an investor. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I can't echo that enough in my own personal life. Again, you know, to give one more disclaimer, none of this is meant as any form of advice. Yeah. We're purely reviewing the concepts and the allegory of rich dad, poor dad, and how it's impacted Adam's life and my life. And again, you know, our greatest tool and our greatest weapon in life is our brain. And you got to sharpen that saw. And if you want to go uh, Stephen Covey, sharpen the saw over and over and over again. So I'm glad you liked the book. Um, you know, give us some feedback around it if you if you end up reading it. Uh, I would highly encourage it. And as always, if you got questions, concerns, compliments, constructive criticism, whatever, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com or hit up millennialmanhood.net. But uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.